you. How are we feeling tonight, Exchange? Anybody glad to be in the room? Let's go. Man, I am so excited to have you with us tonight. My name is Mark. I get the privilege of being a part of the team here. Uh, help me say just a huge welcome to everyone joining for the first time. Come on, let's put our hands together. I'm glad that you are with us tonight. And if we didn't get an opportunity to connect before service, I would love to do so after. But tonight, you came on the perfect night. We're kicking off a new collection called Is God Really In This? And I'm so excited about this series that we're in because here's what I know. In my life, there's been so many moments that I've asked this very same question. Is God really in this? Is God in this season? Is God in this situation? And I know so many of you in the room today, you probably ask this question quite often. And maybe for you tonight, you walked in asking this question like, man, could God really be in this season of my life? Could God really be in this situation I find myself in? Maybe for you, it's loss. You're dealing with great loss, the loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, a loss of someone that was close to you. And you're asking, God, are you in this? Maybe for you today, you're asking this question like, God, are you really in the loss of my job, the loss of uh, a financial obligation or a loss of an opportunity, a loss of something? I know so many of us today, we're representing some form of struggle, some form of loss. But here's what I want you to know. The objective of this series is to help you understand Whatever loss, whatever you're experiencing today, if you look for God, you will realize he is there. And he's there. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, if you seek me, you will find me. I want us to center this series based off of that verse, because that's kind of the foundation. And tonight, as we kick off this series, as we kick off the collection, I want to speak to you from this idea, dealing with seasons of struggle. Dealing with seasons of struggle. And to preach this message, I want to look uh, at 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. And I want to just challenge you, over the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing uh, from different people, different speakers. We're going to be hearing from people sharing their testimonies, personal stories. But most importantly, I want us to really feel challenged to go deeper. I want us to feel challenged to go deeper. So here's my challenge. Bring your Bible with you. Let's take some notes. Let's lean in because tonight as I unpack 1 Samuel, I'm going to kind of teach it. I'm not just going to preach, but I'm going to teach it. And next week I'm excited because I'm preaching on 2 Samuel. And I believe that's going to be a powerful message. So I want to invite you back, but bring somebody with you. So as we look at 1 Samuel, we're going to be looking at three instances where David struggled. And I believe when we look at these three simple instances that David dealt with, it's going to give us hope for whatever we're struggling with today. It's going to give us a solution to get through our struggle. Because how many of you know in this life, you can't control what happens to you, but what you can control is your response. And when we look at David's life, he is always methodical. He is always calculated. He is always intentional with how he responds to circumstances in life. So as we look at 1 Samuel, I'm going to start in chapter 16, but let me give you a little context. Because this is an important moment. The people of Israel, they've been begging God for a king. And finally, God answers their, their prayer. God answers their desire. And he installs a man by the name of Saul to be king over Israel. So here we get to this moment where Saul, he's been king for a few years over Israel. But finally, God now makes a decision to reject him. And God makes this decision to reject Saul and install a new king. So God calls this man by the name of Samuel onto the scene. Samuel was a prophet. 
His, his, uh, his objective was to get a word from God and communicate it to the people. So God goes, hey, Samuel, here's what I need you to do, Samuel. I need you to go and find a new king, and you will find this king in Bethlehem. And now we arrive at this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And Samuel, he heads over to Bethlehem, and now he's interacting with a man by the name of Jesse. We're going to pick up in verse 4. It says, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. See, Eliab, he was the oldest son of this man by the name of Jesse. And up to this moment in verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things you see in people. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one that the Lord has chosen. Verse 9, next Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 10, in the same way all seven, somebody say seven, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, well, are all of these your sons? Are these all the sons that you have? And I love Jesse's response. Jesse takes a moment, he goes, oh yeah, there's actually one that's out there and he's the youngest and he's out there tending to the sheep and the goats and for he was the youngest of them and this is who we would learn would be David for David was the youngest son who was a shepherd. And in this moment, he says, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him, and the boy came, and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had, he had brought with him and anointed David with the oil. I love this. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So let me set the scene. It's 11 BC, and like I said, Saul has been serving as king for many years, and in this moment, God makes a decision to reject Saul as king. And what we know about this man by the name of Saul, I believe it's a great lesson. You see, Saul, he was great looking in appearance, super talented, great in stature, looked super strong, looked super sharp, but the reason why God is at this moment rejecting Saul is because he didn't have the character and integrity it took. So God now says, you know what? Saul is not the guy. We need to find a new king. So he goes and sends Samuel to Bethlehem where he would meet up with this man by the name of Jesse. And it would be in the family of Jesse that Israel's new king would be found. But I love this leadership lesson that we get from the life of Saul because how many of you know talent will get you there, but it's character that keeps you there. I love that leadership lesson because when we look at the life of Saul, he had it all figured out by way of appearance, but deep down within his heart, there was some compromise. 
And it was his compromise, the compromise of his character that led to his fall. But now we get to this moment where David emerges onto the scene. And I, I love David so much. In fact, I would say David's like my, my favorite character in the Bible. In fact, let me not say that. Because as a pastor, you got to be like, yeah, Jesus is my favorite character. But second to Jesus, I love David. Because how many of you know David's whole story, he's like the underdog. He's constantly having to overcome a challenge or overcome a struggle. And it always reminds me of, I remember growing up as a kid, I know I share a lot of stories about like me playing college football, being a division one athlete, whatever. But before all of that, your boy was just not athletic, okay? Um, I was that guy like five years old at recess. Some of you can identify with this, like the last to be picked to play tag or last to be picked to play basketball. Anybody identify with this? Some of y'all are lying in the house of the Lord. Anyways, so five-year-old Mark would, would be out there with all the kids, and I just wanted to be on the team, you know? I just wanted to be one of the guys. I was always the last pick, though. It's close to my heart. It's really close to my heart. I, I remember, like, I, I would be the last pick, and I would be so excited. Like, yeah, I'm on the team. Yeah, let's go. And I'd go home, and it crushed me, man. Wounded me. Mom, Dad, they didn't pick me again. <laughs> after a while, I got used to this. And at like five years old, I would come home after being picked last yet again. I'm like five years old doing dumbbell curls. Like, I'm going to prove them wrong, you know. Like, but it wounded me. It, it crushed me. It hurt me. And I, that wasn't the only instance. I remember when I was in middle school, I moved to Florida back in 2005. And I remember growing up as a kid, I played basketball my whole life. But when I moved to Florida, uh, what I quickly learned was football was the sport of choice. I tried out for the football team. I got cut, wounded. Tried out for the basketball team. I'm like, yeah, your boy's going to make it. Got cut. I, I was crushed by this. Felt rejected. Felt like inferior to everyone else. And when I think about that story, I think, man, that's maybe how David felt. Because hear this, because David in this moment, he's left out from the bunch. Samuel, he comes to David's father and he says, hey, amongst your son, I'm going to find the next king of Israel. And he presents all seven of his sons and Samuel says, nope, none of those are your, the next king of Israel. And what happens? Jesse forgets about his own son, David. He, he forgets about his own son, David. And not only that, Jesse probably doesn't even believe in his son to be fit to be king. How do we know this? Because in 1 Samuel 16, in verse 10, it says this, God doesn't choose any of the seven boys, but then Samuel asks this question, are these all the sons you have? Look at what Jesse says. He says, oh yeah, there is still the youngest, but he's out there being a shepherd. You see, when you look at this word youngest in the Hebrew, you arrive at this term hackathon. And that word hackathon, what it means is to be the runt. You see, in this moment, Jesse's father is referring to his son David as the runt chop, the runt of the group, the runt of his seven brothers. And I just wonder, knowing that, like, how did that make David feel? How did that make David feel like, man, my own father sees me as less than, my own father sees me as one who is not fit to be king. But what we learn is not only was it David's father that kind of pushed him out, it was also David's brothers. 
It was also David's brothers that looked down upon him in chapter 17 before David goes to fight Goliath. Many of you know the story. David, he's actually not only the shepherd of the family, he is also the servant of the family. His father goes, hey son, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go make some sandwiches, make some lunch for your brothers, and I need you to actually go take it to them. And the Bible says as he's going to take the food over to his brothers, he hears this Philistine giant. Bible says that Goliath was 10 feet tall in stature and daily he was consistent in barking orders at the people of Israel. And David can't help himself. He hears this voice by the man Goliath and he runs over to where Goliath is shouting from and David, he starts to kind of get bold. He stands before Goliath and kind of bows up his chest and in that moment, his brother, Eliab, goes, David, what what do you think you're doing? David, bro, go home, bro. You're about to embarrass this family. David, bro, you're nothing but a punk. Go home, David. Spare us the heartache. Spare us the embarrassment, David. And after a short while, David, not only would he be harassed or mocked by his brothers or made fun of by his brothers, I mean, you know, when he stood before Goliath, Goliath looked down on him as well. Goliath looked down like, are you guys joking? You're sending this guy out here? And when I think about this, so many people making a joke of David, mocking David, looking down on David. I just wonder how many of us in the same sense have become wounded because there's some voices in our ear. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, and they just keep looking at you saying, you're not good enough, you're not qualified, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never be successful, there is no career path for you, you're not smart enough, you're not gifted. And after a while, you begin to believe that. And after a while, you begin to look at yourself in the mirror and qualify yourself as what they say you are. After a while, it starts to shape your self-perception because no one has ever spoken highly of you or maybe a parent has never affirmed you or told you the simple words, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. And after a while, you begin to feel like David, a failure. You've allowed that to shape your identity. But when I look at how David responds to this, what we learn quickly is David was unfazed by this. David, David wasn't shook by this. David wasn't wounded by this. And we ask the question, well, why wasn't he? Get this, because David was living from the approval of God, not from the approval of man. You see, in this moment, David knew who God said he was. He wasn't looking for approval from man. He was living from the approval of God. And I believe our greatest problem today, and I'll just call it what it is, I believe it's because of social media and Instagram, many of us are literally living for likes. And we're allowing our living for likes to turn into an approval of man, approval of people. And we're allowing that to overlook and overshadow the fact that God has already approved you. I believe that's our greatest challenge today is many of us today, we have a constant desire in our heart to be approved by man. And that desire is bigger than our desire to be reminded that we have already been approved by God. And I just want to remind someone today, I need you to get this in your heart. Stop living for approval. Start living from approval. Stop living for approval. Stop, start living from approval. 
I just feel passionate about this because I feel like somebody needs this reminder. You've been listening to what people have called you for all of these years. And it's amounted, it's snowballed, it's built up, and now that's the only way you see yourself. You can't reverse the thoughts. I just want to challenge you today. Fix your mind, fix your focus, not on who they say you are, but who God says you are. I just need you to get that in your heart today. God has spoken things over you, and it is not a failure. It is not a less than, and I need you to get this because some of you today, because of what they've spoken, you have thrown the towel in on your calling. You've thrown the towel in on chasing the God dream, the vision that God put before you. Some of you today, you've thrown the towel in on running after the thing that God placed before you. Not anyone else, but before you. Because of what they said to you. Because of what they called you. Someone say, don't live for it. But live from it. Don't live for approval. Live from approval. And not only that, but the second instance that when we look at the life of David is right after this moment where he's anointed on the kitchen floor of his father's house. David, in this moment, what does he do? He returns back to the pasture. He returns back to the place that he had came from, tending the sheep. I need you to get this today. He's anointed on the kitchen floor. He just has this huge ceremony. All of his siblings, his father's there. God literally handpicks him to be the next king over Israel. And in this moment, David, he doesn't end up in the palace. He heads back to the pasture. And it's important you understand this because this would be his post for the next 15 years. And maybe you're wondering, what does it mean to be in the pasture? David's responsibility was to be a shepherd. The responsibility of a shepherd was one of, the, one of the most lowly responsibilities that could be given to a person. I mean, his job was literally to stay up day and night tending to sheep. His job was literally to just protect sheep. His job was to literally pick up after the sheep. Talk about a crappy job, right? Literally. <laughs> but this is David's job. This is his reality. This is his post for the next 15 years of his life. But I just wonder how many of us in the room feel like we got a word from God, a vision from God, a God dream, a great skill set, an invention, a calling from God. But today you feel like you're stuck in the pasture. Today, you find yourself in this place where you feel like you're stuck in the pasture and you're not only stuck, but you're sick of being in the pasture. You keep begging God, God, get me out of this pasture. God, I don't want to be in the pasture any long. But can I tell you, God does some of his greatest work in the pasture. He does some of his greatest work in the pasture. Don't overlook the pasture. Don't forsake the pasture because it's the pasture that is shaping you. The pasture is shaping you. The pasture is building you. It's forging character. And today, I believe we live in an instant gratification generation that so many of us today, we feel like we got this idea, we got this invention today. That means that I need to get to the money now. I need to get to the money now, so when I get to the money, I got the great job. That means I can get to the house, and then after I get the house, I can get the spouse. So many of us, we're trying to map out the course of our life, but how many of you know God doesn't operate on your calendar? 
I just feel passionate about this because some of us need to understand today that many of us, we're rushing to unlock doors that God has never called us to walk through. We're rushing to unlock these doors that God has never called us to walk through. And more times than not, like I said, God's keeping you in the pasture to shape you, to build your character, to build your faith, to prepare you for what's ahead. Because when we look at what David says in Psalm 78, I love this so much. Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72. Scripture says, God chose David as his servant and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people. And David, he shepherded them with integrity and heart and with skillful hands he led them. I need you to get this because it's important you understand David's pure heart and his shepherding skill set, it didn't develop in the palace, it was developed in the pasture. It was not developed, it wasn't given in the palace, it was given in the pasture. I just need somebody to understand this today, friend. I'm sharing this because I really believe some of us, we've been forsaking the pasture and God's calling us to just remain faithful to it. God's just calling us to trust him. God is calling us to just hold on to his promises. God is calling us to just stay the course. I'm not preaching this from a place of I know everything. Can I tell you, I've been in the pasture. I remember my last two semesters of college, probably the hardest days of my life to this point. I remember my last two semesters consisted of me being enrolled in 24 plus credit hours in school. Not only that, I was working a part-time job as a youth director overseeing youth ministry. And on top of that, I was doing a full-time internship. I had school, I had homework. At this time, I'd fallen in love with Michelle. And we really had this idea that God was gonna allow us to take a step forward in faith, to be married. And all of this stuff felt like the pasture. I remember my schedule like it was yesterday, up at four o'clock at my internship from five to 12. After that, do some homework, go to class after that. And then the evenings from 6 p.m. all the way to midnight, I would be doing all of my work. I would wake up, do it all over again. Years prior to that, I remember being a high school student. I remember working a job. Literally, my job started from the moment I got home after football practice at 7 p.m. I would go clean restaurants in the middle of the night to make some money. Wake up, go to school, do the whole school day, go to football practice, go to the gym, do it all over again. It felt like the pasture. But when I look back, when I look back, I'm appreciative of the pasture because what I realized is had I not go, gone through those seasons of life, I probably wouldn't be prepared to be a great husband, a, a great leader, a great pastor. I probably wouldn't have been able to step into my calling with confidence. I probably wouldn't be able to take on all the responsibilities that I'm currently holding on to and being able to say, God, I know you are doing something in the pasture. Why? Because the pasture develops discipline. The pasture builds character. The pasture builds strength. I need us to get this today. I'm not coming down. I'm just saying some of us are forsaking the pasture, but we need to stay faithful. You see, the third instance when we look at David and all the struggles that he experienced is the moment where David, he's serving as the shepherd boy. And in this moment, God, he's continuing to reject Saul. And scripture tells us that Saul, he begins to deal with depression and anxiety. 
David in this moment, or excuse me, Saul in this moment, he's overcome by depression and anxiety. And in this moment, one of Saul's servants tell him, hey, why don't we just get you your own worship leader? Let's get you a worship leader so whenever you're feeling depressed or whenever you're anxious, they can sing to you. And I love what it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, so Saul says, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Verse 20, Jesse responded by sending David to Saul. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. See, scripture says that David found favor with Saul. Not only was David his worship leader, David would actually become the best friend of Saul's son named Jonathan. I'm going to preach about Jonathan next week a little bit. But David, he establishes this relationship with Jonathan, uh, Saul's son. And on top of that, David ends up marrying Saul's daughter. Her name is Michael. It's a girl, believe it or not. (laughs) He ends up marrying Michael. And in addition to being the worship leader, he finds so much favor and success in his role that Saul makes the decision to elevate David. He ups his ranking. No longer are you going to be just a worship leader. I want you to essentially be the commander-in-chief of my army. So now David, he steps into his new role as commander-in-chief. And the Bible says as David steps into this new role, people could see something in David. David was a man of great success and victory as he led as commander-in-chief of Saul's army. And people saw something in him and on him. And as people saw something in David and on David, and as David was leading so many different people to victory, the Bible says one day Saul, he's walking the city streets, and as he's walking the city streets, he hears a group of women singing a song that says, Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. From that moment forward, I just see Saul like, that's, that's a call out. I got to get him. And Saul, he's, he's angry. He's furious. Here he is comparing himself. How many of you know comparison kills? And in this moment as Saul, he's now plagued by comparison. Comparison leads to jealousy and jealousy leads to anger. He starts to conjure up this plan that now I need to murder him. I need to take his life. I need to kill David. And I want you to get this moment because this is all happening before David has even seen the fulfillment of what God had called him to in his life. He's going through all of these struggles, all of these different challenges before David even gets an opportunity to see the fulfillment of what God placed on his life. David is experiencing opposition after opposition, struggle after struggle. And how many of you know with every vision, you should anticipate and expect opposition? Whenever you get a God dream, whenever you get a vision for your life, whenever you commit yourself to say, God, I'm running after the things of you, you should anticipate opposition in your life. And that's exactly what David is experiencing in this moment. He's pledged his life over to running after the very same thing that God called him to. And now he's experiencing opposition. 
I think so many of us today, whenever we're experiencing opposition, whenever we're experiencing a struggle, we take it personal. We, we take it personal. We start asking God, like, how could you be good and allow me to go through this? Like, God, how could you be present? How could you be faithful and you allow me to experience this in this life? God, how could you be good? I love this quote by a man by the name of John White. John White is a Canadian psychiatrist. He says this. I want you to get this. He says, Satan's supreme object is to hurt Christ and Christ's cause. You personally are of no interest to him. It is only as you relate to Christ that you assume significance in the eyes of the enemy. I want to say that again, Satan's supreme object is to hurt Christ and Christ's cause. You personally are of no interest to him. It is only as you relate to the person of Jesus Christ that you assume significance in the eyes of the enemy. Some of us need to understand when we're going through the struggle, when we feel like we're under attack, it's not you, it's God in you that the enemy wants to wipe out. It's not you that he's after, it's the God in you, it is the Holy Spirit, it is Jesus' powerful forces within you that he wants to wipe out. So when you take up your cross to follow Jesus, when you make a decision in your heart to say, Lord, I'm living my life for you, when you make a decision to step on a team and start serving, when you and your girlfriend pledge to say, we're going to honor God in our relationship, can I tell you, friend, expect opposition. The enemy wants to destroy you. We can't take it personal. We can't shrink back. We can't think it's a personal attack. Friends, he's after his church, and the church is us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destruct us. Why? So God can't get the glory, and he can. But I just wonder today, Whenever opposition sets in, do you shrink back or do you stand firm? Do you stand firm on the promises that if he is for you, who could be against you? Do you shrink back? Do you small up? Do you step back? Do you start questioning God's sovereignty? Do you start questioning God's presence? Do you start questioning God's goodness in your life? Or do you stand firm? I feel like I may need to make a disclaimer though. Because when I look at David's life, and I go like, man, this is a guy that was so faithful to God. He was a man after God's very own heart. And here he finds himself going from struggle to struggle, battle to battle. Can I submit this thought? Not all of your opposition is because of our own foolishness, but maybe it's because of your faithfulness. I need you to get this in your heart today. Not everything that you experience in this life, all the suffering, all the pain, all the regret, all the shame, all the guilt, maybe it's not because of your foolishness, but because you made a decision to be faithful to God. And when we look at the life of David, that's exactly what we see. A man who was faithful to God. A man who was faithful to God. As we close out looking at 1 Samuel, when I think about this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it's an interesting moment in time. Because here's what we know. We know Saul is trying to kill David. And David, he was once at a point in time the hero. He was the hero of the story for the people of Israel. But now he is a fugitive on the run. 
He's running for his life. And for many chapters, we see Saul is running after David, trying to take his life. And we arrive at a moment in 1 Samuel 24, where David, after being on the run for a very long time, he has some of his servants with him. One of his servants, Abishad, he comes to David and he goes, David, now's our opportunity to kill Saul. We've got a chance, David. And I love what David says in this moment. You would think David says, absolutely, let's do it. But in this moment, David responds to his servant and he says, we must obey God and trust his timing. We won't touch God's anointed. We won't kill this man. Even in the face of suffering, what was David? He was faithful and obedient. Even in the face of struggles, What was David? He was faithful and obedient. He held on to what God had promised. Despite what he was experiencing, despite what he was walking through, he made a decision to be faithful and obedient. So some of us tonight, we wonder, well, how does this change the way I walk through struggles? How does this change the way that I face struggles on a daily basis. Some of you just need this simple reminder tonight. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of opposition, make a decision, remain faithful and obedient. I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna be obedient. Because the bigger part of this story is, and what I love when I read David's story is, seasons of struggle squeeze out success that stories are written about. When we look at the life of David, it's a collection of struggles. It's a book of struggles when we read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. It's seasons of struggle in our life. They squeeze out strength that stories are written about. And that's what we read when we look at 1 Samuel tonight. It's a success story, a man who overcame the challenges. He remained obedient and faithful to God. Some of us today need to understand God's using, he's using the struggle to shape you, not shame you. He's shaping you. See, the struggle, it produces strength. The struggle, it it produces strength as David, I like to think of the pasture as a struggle. As David served faithfully as a shepherd in the pasture, he got stronger. It shapes you. It shapes you, it's building you, it's helping you get stronger. Don't despise the pasture, don't despise the struggle, but not only does it help give you strength or provide strength in your life, the struggles in life, it also produces humility. Because as David is there in the pasture, how many of you know as a lowly servant, he had to humble himself. He couldn't walk proud in heart. He couldn't walk with his chest bowed up. And I want you to understand this, guys. I want you to really get this point. You see, David, What he reckoned was, he was an ordinary man, but there was an extraordinary God. He was humble. And because of his humility, God used him to do great things. See, not only does the struggle produce strength, not only does it produce humility, but it also produces a sense of appreciation. See, as David walked through all of those struggles only to be named king 15 years after serving as a shepherd boy, what we come to know is when he served as a king, He was appreciative of everything that he walked through because he knows that 
what he walked through in the pasture, it forged character. It built him up to be the leader that God needed for the people of Israel. But not only did it produce appreciation, it gave him perspective. See, David, as he went through the seasons of struggle, it gave him a greater perspective. I'm an ordinary man, but I live for an extraordinary God. And some of us today, we need to understand we may feel like we're stuck in the struggle. It's not a moment for you to shrink back. It's a moment for you to cry out and call onto an extraordinary God. Last thing we see in David's story, the struggle it produced endurance. Because how many of you know these three instances, it's not the only instances that David encountered struggle. He would, he would find himself battling extreme struggle as he was the king, as he was the leader of all of the people of Israel. He endured for the sake of God. Struggle provides endurance. And as I close, I just want to tell you, I don't know if you caught this, but we asked this question, is God really in this story? The answer is absolutely. Because when we look at David, it foreshadows the life of Jesus. Jesus, he would be forsaken by his, his father. God the Father sent his son Jesus down to the earth to suffer for many years. I'm sure when David, he was anointed as king, but he went into seasons of suffering in the midst of the pasture. He was rejected by his father too. How many of you know, after David was anointed on that kitchen floor, it was 15 years of still suffering. Jesus, after he was anointed at the age of 30, it was three years of suffering. Is God really in this? Yes, he is. And it was David that stood there and said in Psalm 23, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, my God, you are with me. And God, if you are with me, who can stand against me? I believe today God is looking at a church saying, you need to get some confidence like David. You may be in the midst of the struggle. I don't know what you're facing, but I know God does. And he is calling you to stand firm, to stay strong, to hold fast to his promises, to be faithful, to be obedient, and to stick to what matters most. It's your faith. It's your obedience. It's walking it out, not talking it out. It is living your life for Jesus.